Testament, and then we talked about the last will and testament of the New Testament, and this week I promised you if you had come back that we would talk about the eternal spirit because it's, it helps us understand the God of the Old Testament as we song the God of Israel that uh, is also the God of the New Testament and uh, the God of the Old Testament merely absorbed himself in a body. The Bible said, a body hast thou prepared me. And that eternal spirit is in that body and it's called sonship. So let's look to the word of the Lord for a little while today. And at the close of our lesson, we will pray for the sick and anybody that is in need today. But found in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 11. And I will read just a few verses of scripture. Verse number 11 chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, but Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And, of course, that phrase, the eternal spirit, is really the explanation of the deity of Jesus and the God of Israel. Let's pray together. Savior, we love you and thank you for your word. And we ask you to help us today as we endeavor to break the bread of life and bring strength, wisdom, and revelation from the word of God in our lesson today. Help us, we pray. We ask these things in the wonderful name of the Lord. And somebody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It is interesting when you're trying to study out the Godhead and who all of the scriptures point to in the completion of it all. So today uh, we talked about the Old Testament, the New Testament, and how the New Testament is a completion of the Old Testament, fulfillment of it all. The type of Christ in the Old Testament became the fulfillment of Christ in the New Testament. And we have him today as our hope. And so this scripture said that how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit or through the media of the spirit, that eternal spirit offered himself, which basically boils down to the fact that that which was in Christ was that eternal spirit. The body was not a deity. The body was not a god. The body was merely born of a woman and made under the law, as the scripture said in Galatians 4 and 4. But it was then after the resurrection, the glorified body, that that eternal spirit came back into that body. And that's why Jesus stated in 219 of St. John, destroy this temple, speaking of himself, and three days I will raise it again. And I ask you how can a dead person raise himself, but it's through the eternal spirit. The eternal spirit never died, and God being a spirit, as it says, and we'll relate to that in a moment, in 4 and 
24 of uh, John that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That spirit can never die. That spirit is a, an eternal spirit. It is by that spirit that Jesus Christ, of course, created the worlds, as the scripture said, and that is the eternal spirit. It goes from every scripture of the Old Testament to the completion of the New Testament. The Old Testament, the spirit of God moved upon people, and it moved, and it came upon people, it moved upon people, and it came upon people, but the New Testament, he put it in our hearts, which was our a beginning scripture of our series where he put his word into our heart. I will write it on the tables of your heart and I will be in you. And so in the beginning, and this is all we know about God, and I politely ask you don't try to figure out any more than that. Many people have tried to figure out the origin of God. Well, in our finite minds, we try to figure out eternity, and we can't figure that out. So don't try to figure out the eternal God's origins. He always has been. And to us, when we live in this world of dates and months and years and times, uh, um, we can't relate to an eternal God. But he's always been, and he always will be. And the beautiful thing about it, he is in us today. He's not some distant God of a totem pole somewhere. He's not a God of stone, but he is in us today. Hallelujah. So the Bible said in the beginning, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God is in the origin. And why it did not just say God moved upon the face of the waters, it was part of this Elohim or plural of majesty which involves all of God's attributes and all of God's spirit and all of God's goodness and all of God's grace. It all is housed in that one God that we recognize as the God of Israel and the God of the New Testament. So he, he moved, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, proving once again that God is a spirit. He is not a body. We don't find a body except in theophanies, which came in different appearances of the Old Testament. But we know that God moved upon people and he came upon people in the Old Testament. God is a spirit. And Christ, who through that eternal spirit offered himself or offered that body as a sacrifice to fulfill the Old Testament scripture. So as we go through this today, I want you to listen carefully to the scriptures. The scriptures know how to interpret themselves. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the King James Bible first doctrine and study, and we use other versions and translations or whatever you want to call them as, as, as commentaries. But we memorize from the King James because it is one of the oldest writings and comes from the old Antiochian transcripts, which we believe in as being close as possible to the original writings. We don't have all the original writings. I have seen 
some of the writings that they have in Israel. I have been very close and looked upon the book of Isaiah that is in display there that they found some years ago. But uh, we don't have the original writings, and we don't have access right now to the original stones uh, that the Lord himself wrote by the finger of God upon those tables of stone. They're possibly somewhere. I was with Rabbi Rickman, and he was in our home several years ago, and he said he was within 15 feet of the Ark of the Covenant. He was within 15 feet of those things that was preserved, and... Uh, uh, I don't know what that means. He never saw them, but uh, he said he was within 15 feet of it. I don't know about all that, and I'm not even concerned so much about that, except to tell you that the God that seems distant to our world and a God that seems distant from our politicians uh, and a God that seems distant to our society is very nigh unto us today, very close unto us today. Hallelujah. I, I, I'm, I'm just glad to tell you that church is not about a social meeting. It's really not even about a social gospel in that sense that they term. It is about a God that is social, a God that is, can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, uh, and a God that is present everywhere with all of us at all times. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Isaiah 44 and 24 tells us, uh, in these words, thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, and spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. The Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible teaches you and is a revelatory book to understand the personage of Jesus and the existence of an eternal God through his eternal spirit. And so when the scripture says something, we're not so concerned about what theologians may try to interpret it. We let the scripture interpret that for us. So listen very carefully to the word of God because I am not talking about my particular beliefs today. I want to present to you the word of God. In the book of Job 9 and 8 goes a little bit farther and and said, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. We know Jesus walked on waters. And we know that God alone created the world, the universe, the cosmos, eternity, and all that goes with his creation. I, I, I just want to introduce to you how powerful the voice of God is. The voice of God is so powerful that he spoke things into existence. His spirit. I don't know how the visibility part of God and the angels was because I wasn't there. But I know we're going to understand it later by and by. But God being a spirit did not have flesh and blood. Jesus taught us that. That a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood. So the spirits of, of Lucifer and Satan, uh, that evil one, they're more spirit than they are flesh, of course, but they dwell in flesh, trying to incorporate their own life into what Jesus did when he was born of this world, born under the law, made of a woman, and that eternal spirit came into him by the Holy Ghost overshadowing Mary, which was prophetic of his spirit even being raised from the dead. So when you look at this and understand 
the theologians of our day cannot use just the Bible. When they go to the Old Testament, it is monotheistic. It is a one God testament. But uh, the theologians have to go to other writings to try to figure out what they believe. Let me tell you what we believe. We believe the Bible. We believe the Bible. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 15, speaking of Christ, uh, said, who is the image of the invisible God, all that you will ever see of God other than his moving presence uh, is Jesus Christ. He is the image uh, of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And then 16 goes on with powerful words. Listen very carefully. We're talking about the eternal spirit. For by him, Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is the, he is the head of the body, well, verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. How could he be before all things uh, if he was born of a woman and made under the time of the law? That body, of course, the sonship was born of a woman, made under the law. How can he be before all things? It is because what was in Jesus Christ was that eternal spirit. The eternal spirit. Therefore, he was before, Christ was before all things uh, because of the eternal spirit that was in him. There's not three spirits, six spirits. 342 gods, 3,342 gods, as some believes. Uh, and there's several religions that have 3,000, sometimes more than that, gods. Uh, he is the one true God that gave to us life and life eternal. And he did it through the eternal spirit of God, who is the image of the invisible God. All you're ever going to see about God is Jesus Christ. He came. He died. Now, God cannot die. So if, if, if the sonship was a God, then it died. But it, God, God cannot die. He is an eternal God, an eternal spirit. And even Jesus said, go ahead and destroy this body because I am going to raise it again. And, and so that eternal spirit has the power not only to create, but it has the power to raise the dead. And he became the first fruits of the resurrection. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. And it didn't say part of things or things on the earth, but all things. And then verse 19 puts it all together when it said, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. All fullness dwell. 12. Give me Colossians 2, 8, and 9. And this takes a New Testament scripture a little bit farther. And as we read this, listen very carefully. 
Beware lest any man spoil you or makes light of you or tries to sway you. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In that body was the eternal spirit of Almighty God, of which he offered himself for redemption for our sins. Aren't you glad God died for you? God came in the personage of a son and gave his life for you and me. I came to worship him today. I came to exalt his name today. I came to love him today because he took my place. Under the Old Testament, I was thrown to death. I was put away. I had to bring an animal or whatever. But in the New Testament, all I have to do is say, forgive me, Jesus. For he who through the eternal spirit offered himself a redemption for myself. Oh, hallelujah. I want to worship him today. He through the eternal spirit. He did all of this through the eternal spirit. The word Elohim is a collective noun in a plural form. And that what this is saying, and you can read this even in the New Bible, it's very interesting. When I read it, uh, the new uh, premier study Bible that just came out, in the footnotes of that, it's a uh, collective noun, but it's in a plural form because in the Hebrew, there is a plural of majesty. It's used with a singular verb. This goes to show the strengths and the attributes of the one true God. The Hebrew has both plural of numbers as well as plural of majesty. In other words, simply put, he is able to speak of himself in a plural form because of all the attributes that surround God. In the book of Revelations, it talks about the seven spirits of God. We know that that's not seven separate spirits of God. It's his ability to meet the needs of everybody at all times, everywhere in the world. He is the eternal spirit everywhere at all times, demonstrating that all power and authority along with divine judgment is invested in the one true God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad I know him today. I'm glad he knows me today. Jesus even made these remarks in Matthew 28 and 18 uh, just before one of the three great commissions of the Bible and said, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Not a portion of the power, but all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The English language only has one plural of numbers, uh, but the Hebrew language brings out the fact that this one God can be all things to all people at all times. No human being can be that. Paul made the statement, I'd like to be all things to all people, for by all means win some, but he still couldn't be all things to everybody around the world. He was in a local setting. Jesus came in a local setting, but that eternal spirit was still everywhere at the same time. In the English language, we don't say they or we concerning one person, but in Hebrew concerning God, they or we means all that God is and makes up all that is that one God. He has all the attributes uh, that all of us collectively have. You may have more some things than I have, but God has all things that are good 
in that one God and meets the needs of an entire world through the eternal spirit. Hallelujah. Now, we may think about multiple personalities. We're living in a strange day today, almost unheard of in our world ever. But you, according to our politicians and some judges even, you can think you are something and they'll allow you to be that. It's getting so out of hand that the person with several personalities wanted to marry all their personalities. Another wanted to marry their own horse. One guy said, I want to marry myself because I'm in love for myself. We're living in a strange world today. We may have different personalities among us, uh, but really, you're just one person. And God is one person, but he's everywhere at the same time by his eternal spirit. Elohim is used 2,570 times in the Old Testament. It is the general term for God as well as Jehovah or Adoniah. And we know Jehovah means Jesus. We can find that in Scripture. It just is, it's Jehovah, Joshua, Jeheshua. And in the New Testament, it even spoke of Joshua giving us rest in the fourth chapter of Hebrews. We know who Joshua is. We know who Jeheshua is. We know who Jehovah is. We know who the God of the Old Testament is. And we know the God of the New Testament. It is a plural of majesty that relates to God, that he is everything to all people at all times, doing all things at the same time. Now, you may be able to multitask. I, I was in Vegas twice this week with my sister because of some medical things that she's going through, and we learned a little thing about aging. I'll take up the offering after I tell you this. We learned a little bit about aging. We learned that if you forget where your glasses are, that's part of the aging process. But if you forget what they're for, there's an illness there. If you forget where your keys are, that's the normal process of aging. But if you forget what they're for, that's a problem. If you forget who your wife is, that's one thing. But if you forget what she's for, it's quite another so I learned a little bit this week. So in learning that, we learned that the aging process is there, but God never ages. He never gets old. He never gets tired. He never wears out. He never gives up. He is all things to all people. God operated by the eternal spirit in all that he did. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, that eternal Spirit. God brought forth a Son for us and put that eternal Spirit in Him. And that's how a plural of majesty works, because God and Jesus work together on the same plane. The government is upon His shoulder, Isaiah says. And we learn in the New Testament, all power is given to Him. They work in coordinates together. It is a plural of majesty. You can't have one without the other. The reason that there was a body at all is you could not see a spirit. So God sent a sonship born of a woman 
made under the law so that we would have something that could hang on a cross for you and I. Because a spirit can't hang there. A spirit is everywhere at all times, all places, knowing all things and has all power in his hand. But he needed a body. He needed something that could be a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So he made us a body. Hallelujah. And he put that spirit in him, that eternal spirit. And that's why he said he offered that through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot unto God. This plural of majesty just demonstrates the ability through the eternal spirit to be bodied or embodied in the personage of Jesus Christ and still be Elohim or the God of all eternity. Because the government is on his shoulder, Isaiah said. So if this son that came to us for us is born a son, a son is given, and the government's going to be on that sonship shoulder, that doesn't mean anything more than the fact that that eternal spirit that was everywhere at all times Knowing all things. Jesus even said, you don't need man to testify me. I know what's in man. He knows what's in your mind and heart. He knows all things. And so when he, when he came to this world, that government was invested on him and all power was given to him. That's why Jesus, being a son, being born of a woman made under the law, could walk on water, as Job said. And he could not only walk on water, he could command the water. Out on the bow of the boat, what did he say to the waves of his creation? Stop. Be still. Slow down, wind. I'm your creator. I don't know about you, but this gets thrilling to me. Through the eternal spirit, he offered himself, John 10 says, that he's the door to the sheepfold. It goes on to say that he is the shepherd of the sheep. He's the door, he's the shepherd. But what's beautiful is he's also the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's a low hymn. That is the multiplicity of things that God can be all at the same time. He is the creator, and yet he's the son of God. He is the human side of God, and yet he is the eternal spirit of God. All things consist by him because the government was upon his shoulder. That's why he could walk to Lazarus' grave and did not say, come forth. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He named him because if he would have just said, come forth, he is the creator. All the dead would arose because he has all power. And one day, let me just tell you, he's going to step out on the balcony of glory somewhere and he's going to call us home. He's going to say to the north, give up, and to the south, hold not back. Come, my children, my sons and daughters from afar, all that is called by his name. Oh, hallelujah. If that doesn't thrill you, I don't know what will thrill you, but the very Jesus that died for me, the very God that created me, the very God that gave me his spirit is going to call from heaven one day, and everybody that's called by his name. Woo. 
When Jesus stood at that grave and said, Lazarus, come forth, the dead didn't come out. Only Lazarus came. But when Jesus calls his name from glory and said, Jesus, come forth, all the graves are going to open. And there's going to be a unity of spirit and body and soul together in a resurrection power. Oh, hallelujah. And all of that's going to come by the word of his power. Give me Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. Well, let me just read verse number 1. God, who at sunder times and in divers manners spake unto his time passed by the, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. This is interesting. By whom also he made the worlds. How? By that eternal spirit that was there in the beginning. Verse 3. Who be in the brightness of God's glory, be in the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down on the majesty of sat down to the right hand of the majesty on high. What about the left hand? What about the finger of God? God is a spirit. It doesn't have a hand. It represents the power of God. Exodus tells us in the 15th chapter, it is the power of God. His right hand represents the power of God. Colossians tells us that it's Christ who is the power of God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm talking about the eternal spirit. The flesh of Jesus died, but he go, rose from the dead by the help of God's spirit, that eternal spirit, and he reigns today, and revelation makes it plain to us when we get to heaven. In fact, John saw through a vision, and he saw the heavens opened, and he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And what did he say? I saw one throne and one that sat on that throne. Oh, hallelujah. That was the right hand of God, the power of God, the demonstration of his power, the Elohim that is all things to all people. To be the high priest, he was in that eternal spirit mode because he was the high priest, but he was also the lamb. Why is it so hard to understand that Jesus is the embodiment of the eternal God in the eternal spirit when we understand he's the high priest, and he's the lamb. He's the blood. He's the offering. He's the one that administered the sacrifice. That would be like Abraham not putting his own son on the altar, but putting himself on the altar and taking the knife himself to his heart. That's what God really did when he made through the eternal spirit that sonship to be a sacrifice for us. Fulfilling the Old Testament plan of sacrifice. A lamb could no longer do it turtle dove could no longer do it. A bullet could no longer do it. 
You may think you're righteous. Uh, you may think you're holy. You may think you're good. But Jesus said there's no one good. No, not one. There's only one that's good and only one that's worthy. Read the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. There's only one that's worthy. And it came out of the midst of God. Not as a, not as a separate person. It came out of the midst of God. And he was able to open the book. And when he opened the book, he saw your sins and my sins. And he took his blood and stamped it out and said, you're free. Now, wait a minute. You ought to be happy about that. I'm not righteous in my own self. I'm a failure in my own self. But his blood has cleansed me. He became my lamb. John 4 and 22, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. This was the lady at the well, the Samaritan. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah has come which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. No wonder he said, I and my father are one. No one and, and no qualification. He just said, I and my father are one. No wonder he said before all things before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> I am. He is the I am. He's not the I was. He's not the I will be. He is the I am. When Moses was asking the Lord, what am I going to tell these folks when I get there? I'm going to Egypt and, and I'm going to face old Pharaoh. And uh, I want to know, I want to know what I'm supposed to tell him. The Lord said, you just tell him, I am that I am. Hallelujah. Read the New Testament, how many times it's referred to him being the I am. Can we say it today? Jesus would say, I'm your Savior. I am your God. I am your healer. I am the first. I am the last. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the one that was and is, and I'm alive forevermore, the Almighty. I'm going to take you just a little bit farther in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3. I like this scripture because we're talking about the eternal spirit of God. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. That's interesting. The unity of the spirit. Are you going to try to dissect the spirit? Are you going to try to make it 4,200 gods, 4,200 spirits, the seven different spirits, the seven different beings? No, I'm endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And here's his declaration, verse number four. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you're called, 
in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, who is Father of all, who is above all, and that eternal spirit is in you all. Somebody ought to shout with victory. Hallelujah. That's the eternal spirit of Almighty God. He is God that is above all, through all, and he's in you all. Somebody ought to shout with me. Here's the unity of the spirit in one body as the Holy Ghost is in us. Now, the Holy Ghost merely means the go a ghost. You look it up for yourself. A ghost is the spirit of a deceased one. Is it the spirit of God? Oh, yes, it's the spirit of God because God was in Christ reconciling the, the world unto himself. So that eternal spirit was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But when he died, that ghost or the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost came back to life. And that Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad we didn't have to go trick-or-treating? Somebody said, the and Pastor even mentioned it in our neighborhood, that uh, there was a sign, the only ghost in this house is the Holy Ghost. I like that. All that theory and whatever you want to call it, deal with it, forget that. I'm not even going there. I'm just telling you, a ghost can be scary. Has anybody ever seen a ghost? I know you thought about seeing one sometime maybe, but thank God we have the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Spirit of a deceased one. That's the Spirit of Christ. Scripture talks about it. I'm talking about the unity of the Spirit today, that, that eternal Spirit. There's but one body and one Spirit. That eternal Spirit was omnipresent, omnipotent. It was omniscient, all-knowing. And it's omnipresent, which means all. Om omni means all. He's all things. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He's our God. And let me just tell you a sneaky little truth today. He is not just in heaven sitting on a throne somewhere. He's in this building today. I said he's in this building today. The God that created the world is in this building. How is he in this building? Does he house himself in a building? Oh, no. He's in us. We brought him to this place today. We came with him in this place today. The one that created the world is in us. Hallelujah. Now, I get You may not get excited. You, you may not get excited about it, but I get excited about knowing that the creator of all things is in me today. No wonder I can say to the devil, flee. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. No wonder I can say to addictions, get out of my life. No wonder I can talk about diseases and trust the creator of all things. He's in this place today. He's in us. He's in us. The Bible said it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. To wit that God was in Christ, that eternal spirit, the unity of the spirit, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Now we are ambassadors 
for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Backing up just a little bit. God is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. Omnipotent. Omniscient. Omniscient. He is God in the world. He's God in the cosmos. He's God in the universe. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. And it's God in us. I don't know about you, but church is more important to me than anything in the world. Because it's here where we join together. And collectively, we become the body of Christ. And so the Bible now teaches us that now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when we shall see him, we're going to be like him. Because we're going to see him as he really is. Well, that ought to cause you to shout. God is everywhere at the same time, omnipresent. He's all-knowing, he has all knowledge, and he knows everything. He's omniscient, and he is all-powerful. If I was in Africa today, I could worship the same God I'm worshiping right now. That eternal spirit is everywhere. If I was in South America, I could worship that same God because he's everywhere. And so since he's everywhere, I'm going to worship him right here. I'm going to worship him right now. Because he's known what I need. He has all knowledge, all power, and all presence. That eternal spirit is in us. And we have God within us. We have Jesus within us. We have the Holy Ghost within us. It's one spirit. It's the eternal spirit. And the unity of that spirit. Elohim in us. Oh, hallelujah. Paul explains it like this in Colossians 1 and 25. And you better come. Because my vocabulary is outrunning me today. Who's ever going to play for us? Come quick. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. First Timothy 3.16. And I know, I know there's so many scriptures I'm not getting to today. But if you'll come back. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God. That eternal spirit, God, was made known, manifest in the flesh. God! God was justified in the spirit. At the same time he was made known in the flesh, he was justified in the spirit. He could be all things and all people everywhere at all times and all things. And he was God, the universal spirit of God, that eternal spirit of God. While he was manifest in the flesh, he was justified in the spirit. Now, if God is a spirit, 
How did angels see him? I propose to you, however the spirit world works, Jesus said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. I just take his word that spirits don't have a body. I just have to take his word. So, if spirits don't have a body, that's why the devil works. The devil is not omnipresent. I refute the idea that the devil can be at all places at all times. You know why? Because there's times when you are tempted or the times that you feel bad or the times that you feel depressed and then every once in a while you get to feeling better. You know why? Because just like the spirit left Jesus when the devil was tempting him, so the devil leaves you. But this is the beautiful thing about it. Jesus never leaves you because he is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can leave this building and go to the four corners of the earth and you're going to find Jesus there. Hallelujah. You might find one of the demons there. But while he was manifest in the flesh and justified in the spirit, he was seen of angels. He was seen of angels while he preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and God. Let me read that again just to be clear. And without controversy, great is the mystery of God and is God. Say it with me. God was. God was manifest in the flesh. God was justified in the spirit. God was seen of angels. God preached unto the Gentiles. God was believed on in the world. God was received up into glory. We ought to shout about it. We ought to thank God about it. God is in the world. God is in the cosmos. God is in the universe. God is everywhere. And God is in us. It's God in Christ and Christ in you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And Malachi tells us in 2.10, have we not all one Father, and hath not one God created us? And I will try to close. My, 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 what else do I have here? I have so much. It's so good. In fact, I guess you could just try to start with Genesis and preach the whole Bible, and you'd find out about God, for this is his will and his last testament. I'm reading from the book of Isaiah, As You Stand. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I love this. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. Oh, hallelujah. Don't you love the word of God? The creeds of which many religions try to follow and try to base much of their dogma and doctrines on is men in the third century or there before or thereafter trying to figure out who God is when all they have to read is the Bible they can find out who God really is. Man is confused and can't figure out how 
Jesus can be his own father. I just propose to you that if that's hard to understand, then try to figure out how he can be the high priest and the lamb. How he can be in scripture the first and the last and never the second. Always the alpha and the beginning and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's all things in between. He's our God. Why don't you lift your hands and just love him. Just love him today. The eternal holy, spirit of holy, God was from the beginning to the God end. Almighty, the eternal spirit of God. was and is and is to come. The same God, the eternal spirit of God is here with healing today. If you have something in your body we need to pray for, you would just step into this aisle today. The elders of the church is going to anoint you with oil and lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you. Because the healer is in the house today. The God of all eternity is in the house today. Holy, holy. 